Today I am continuing a series talking about how to stay positive in a negative world. And I tell you, this is a timely teaching. It seems like, you know, Jesus said that in the end days, things would get worse and worse, people's hearts waxing gross, and because of this, the love of many people would wax cold. And I tell you, we are living in the last days. I really believe that. Over in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 5, it gives a list of, I think, either 16 or 19 things that would characterize the end days. And if you read that, it's just like reading the paper today. I mean, people are disobedient to parents. They love pleasures more than God. They have a form of godliness, but deny the power thereof. And on and on you could go. So anyway, we are in a time that it just seems like that the world is pressing in on us. And then you add to that all of the technology that we have with the Internet, television, radio, all of these things. And we hear the problems of the world put on our doorstep. I mean, piped into our home on a daily basis. We get all of the bad news of the world. And this is just a recipe for disaster. It makes people's hearts grow cold. What I want to begin to do is just to share with you, all right, how is it that I stay positive? How is it that I keep my mind stayed upon the Lord? Another scripture I've used a lot is Isaiah 26, verse 3, where it says, The Lord will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed upon him because he trusts in him. And so how is it that I do this? How is it that I stay focused? It really comes down to just relationship with God. I know that that is really simple. And again, some people are thinking it's got to be more important than that. I have a relationship with God and I'm still discouraged and I'm still negative. But you know, you can get into the presence of the Lord. I think it's Psalms chapter 16. Let me just turn over and start with this verse. In Psalms chapter 16 and in verse 11, it says, Thou wilt show him the path of life. In, the, in thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand are pleasures forevermore. This says that when you are in the presence of the Lord, there is fullness of joy. At His right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. And you know, whether you feel the presence of God or not, the New Testament makes it very clear that the Lord will never leave us nor forsake us. Lo, He is with us always. And if you were focused on the Lord and just taking advantage of the relationship that is made available to you, you would have fullness of joy. Another scripture goes along with this is 1 Peter chapter 1. And I think it's first, It's either 1st or 2nd Peter chapter 1, I believe, verse 8. And it says that it was talking about all the problems that we have. And it says, but believing you rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. If you are truly in faith, then there is hope. There is excitement. There is joy unspeakable and full of glory. If you are being overcome by the pressures of this world, I'm not here to condemn you and tell you that you're bad, but I'm saying that it's because you aren't enjoying the presence of God. In the presence of God, there is fullness of joy. At His right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. If you are believing, you have joy unspeakable and full of glory. That's just the way that it is. And if you don't have that, then you aren't truly believing. I'm not saying you aren't a believer. You could have been born again. You might have a relationship with God, but you aren't enjoying it. You aren't appropriating it. You aren't drawing on it. 
And I know that there's people that get upset when I say things like this because they say, you're just condemning people. I am not trying to condemn anybody, but I'm trying to bring you up and let you realize that the way this world operates and even the vast majority of the body of Christ has validated and taught that you have to go through these problems and you have to suffer. They even put God's. Uh, the blame on God and say God puts these troubles on you. God is the one who's taken away his presence and his joy. God sends you in the valley because the valley is where you grow. I'm saying that that is not true. It is true that you can grow through hardships. It is true that you can learn through hard knocks, but there's a better way and that's through the Word of God. God is not the one who puts these problems on you. God is not the one who's causing the problems in your life. God wants you to have joy unspeakable and full of glory. John chapter 10, verse 10 says that the thief comes not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. But I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. That was Jesus speaking and he contrasted it. The devil is the one who makes you depressed and discouraged that steals, steals kills, and destroys. But God is the one who comes to give you abundant life. I'm telling you that there is a relationship with God that you can have that overcomes all of the pressures and all of the things of this world. And there are some of you that are arguing with me in your mind right now and saying, but you haven't been through what I've been through. Again, another scripture I've already used is 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, where it says, There is no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able, but will with the temptation make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. If you were sitting here and saying that, well, what you're testifying about, you just don't know how bad my problems are. My problems are worse than anybody else's. Then you're in violation of 1 Corinthians 10, 13. You're saying that you've got a unique problem. And the Bible says there's nothing that has happened to you but such as is common to man. I am not trying to condemn anybody for struggling and being discouraged and being depressed, but I am trying to take away your excuses. I am trying to remove all of the things that you use to validate and keep yourself in that place. And I'm telling you that God loves you. And that if you were to access that love and to be focused on the love of God and enter into relationship with God, the love of God is infinitely greater than whatever problem you're facing and you could be just overwhelmed with it. I mean, the love of God is like trying to get a drink from Niagara Falls. It's just, it's overwhelming. And for somebody to sit there and say, oh yeah, I know that God loves me, but still that doesn't satisfy. Still, that doesn't meet my need. I still have all of these problems. I'm just saying you haven't really appropriated what is available to you. Let me share this passage with you out of John chapter 3. This is really familiar passage of scripture. Most people are so familiar with this, they don't have a clue what it says. But in John chapter 3 verse 16... It says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Most people think, man, I heard that when I was a little kid. I know that, and that still doesn't take care of things. This is saying that God loved you so much that He sent His Son to die for you, so that you would not perish. Most people just kind of put a period right there and they think that the reason Jesus came was to deal with our sins so that we wouldn't die and go to hell, but instead we'd go to heaven. 
And I admit that that is a benefit and that is an awesome benefit. In the long term, we're going to spend much more time in heaven than we ever spend here on the earth. And so I'm not trying to minimize that at all. But this is not the point that's really being made. It says that he so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Everlasting life is the goal. And again, people have thought that everlasting life is talking about living forever. That's not what it's talking about because did you know everybody lives forever. Hitler is living forever. You can take whoever you want to name and they are living forever. You do not cease to exist when your physical body dies. There are many scriptures that talk about that we enter immediately into eternity and there is going to be living forever in heaven and there's going to be living forever in hell, separated from God. So everybody lives forever. And some people would come back and say, well, it's living forever in heaven versus living forever in hell. Well, right here in this same chapter, it says in verse 36, it says, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. Everlasting life isn't something that just starts when you get to heaven. It's not living forever in heaven. This is talking about everlasting life being a present tense reality. So let me use another verse right here out of John chapter 17. This is Jesus praying the night before his crucifixion. And here's what Jesus said to his father in verse 2, John 17, 2. As thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. And this is life eternal. This is just like if you look this up in a dictionary. Here is the Bible's definition of eternal life. This is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. Now, most people look at that and think that's it. I thought eternal life was living forever in heaven or something like this. It's just knowing God. This isn't talking about knowing God in the sense that, you know, most of us use the word know. We say, oh, I know this person. But, you know, you, you know things about them. You might be able to recognize them. You might be able to call their name. But in the Bible, when it says, when it uses this word know, it's talking about a close, intimate, personal relationship. As a matter of fact, in Genesis chapter 4, it says that Adam knew his wife Eve and that she conceived and bore a son. And this is used all the way through the Bible to describe the most intimate relationship between a man and a woman, the sexual relationship. It talks about uh, you know, Mary and Joseph and it says that they went ahead and married, but he knew her not until after she had brought forth Jesus. And that's talking about this sexual relationship. So when this says that this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. This isn't talking about just an intellectual knowledge. This isn't just saying that, oh, I know God. No, this is talking about relationship. This is talking about enjoying that relationship, having communication, interaction going on between you and God. I'm not questioning whether or not if you were to die right now, you'd go to be with the Lord in heaven. But I guarantee you, I meet lots of people who knew the Lord 10 years ago, 15 years ago, 
when they get into a crisis situation, they may call out and they may encounter the Lord in some degree. But the vast majority of people that I've ministered to do not have a working relationship with the Lord. You know, there's a lot of people that depend on church and church has basically degraded to the point that it's about one hour a week. Or if you go to a fanatical church, you might have two or three hours a week that that, that summarizes your relationship with God where you're singing and focused on Him and listening to the teaching of the Word. But I guarantee you that's not a healthy relationship. If my wife and I only meant for one hour a week... I don't care how good that hour was. I don't care what we talked about. I don't care what we did. If our relationship consisted of one hour a week, we would not have a close relationship. And sad to say, most Christians are not living in the presence of God. You know, the Bible says that the just shall live by faith. They don't visit there. They don't go there one hour a week. It's not where they vacation once a year. You have to live by faith. It ought to be something that goes on 24 hours a day. This is what eternal life is talking about. It's talking about an intimate, close, personal relationship with God to where you don't just know about God. You don't depend on somebody else to tell you about God, but you are experiencing God. You're having fellowship with Him every single moment of every single day. You know, I'm not a perfect example of this. I'm still growing in my relationship with the Lord. But on the way into the office today, it's just a beautiful day. Man, I was praising God. I was singing this song about I love you, Lord. And I was having fellowship with the Lord. I just enjoy the presence of the Lord. And there's many of you that that is a foreign thing. And I'm telling you that that's the reason that this ungodliness and the pressure... And the discouragement and the depression and all of these things of the world are coming in upon you is because in the presence of the Lord is fullness of joy. God never leaves you, but you have to access that by faith. You have to understand that this is what God wants. And I'm telling you that your personal relationship with God is the number one line of defense against this negativity of the world. If you are in the presence of the Lord, I can guarantee you this, that God is not sitting in heaven, wringing His hands, wondering how He's going to turn this thing around, wondering how this is ever going to work out for good. God has it all planned. He's written it in His book. You can read it in the book of Revelation. He's going to win. Everything's going to come out exactly right. God is not worried about anything. And if you are worried about something, you are not in close communion with God or He would reproduce that same positiveness, this same feeling of control that He has, it would be reproduced in you. If you are stressed out and worried and it looks like everything is bad, I can guarantee you, you're focused on the negative instead of being focused on the Lord and on your relationship with Him. So this is what eternal life is. Eternal life is knowing God, not knowing about God, not having known God a long time ago, but it's talking about knowing God right now, being in His presence. And if you do that, that is what eternal life is about. So go back to John chapter 3 and verse 16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Not just living forever, but have an intimate, close, personal relationship with Him. 
And let me just say, this, this is a radical statement that just shocks a lot of people, but this is the goal of salvation. Jesus forgave your sins so that you could have an intimate, close, personal relationship with Him right now, not just in the sweet by and by, but in the rough now and now. God wants to envelop you in His presence. God wants to be a blessing to you right now and counter this negativism of the world. And I'm telling you, His love, His acceptance, feeling the joy in the presence of God is greater than any problem you could ever have. And the good news is He wants this more than you want it. This is saying that this is the purpose of salvation is this close, intimate, personal relationship with you. Let me just make a radical statement right here that some of you may at first think this couldn't be true. But did you know that the number one purpose of Jesus coming to this earth was not to forgive your sins? Now, He did die to forgive your sins. But the purpose was to bring you into union with Himself. And not just in eternity, but right here in this life. God Almighty wants to fellowship with us more than we want to fellowship with Him. Most of us have been taught that He really doesn't want to fellowship with us because we aren't worthy of it. We haven't done everything right. We feel condemned and we just are afraid to enter into His presence. But I'm, I'm telling you, that is not true. The grace of God has already dealt with all of your sins. God has taken care of every sin that you've ever committed, past, present, and even the ones you haven't committed. They're over. God is not mad at you. And if you have received salvation, He is more than not mad at you. He is longing to pour out His love and His blessings in your life. But you have to let that happen. Psalms chapter 35 and verse 27. Let me just turn over and read this verse. Psalms 35 and 27 says, Let them shout for joy and be glad that favor thy righteous cause. Yea, let them say continually, Let the Lord be magnified, which hath pleasure in the prosperity of His servant. Now this isn't limited to just talking about financial blessings. I believe it includes that. But He wants you to prosper in every area, in your emotions, in your relationships, in your health, in the business, whatever uh, goal God has set for your life. It says, Let God be magnified, which has pleasure in the prosperity of His servant. If you were to diagram that sentence, the way that we were taught to do this in school, you know, there has to be a subject and then there has to be a verb. And the subject of this sentence would be an understood subject. You let God be magnified. It's up to you whether God is able to do this. You have to let God be magnified. The word magnify means to make bigger. Whatever you focus your attention on, it gets magnified. We should focus our attention on God and all of the provision that He's made. And if you were focused on God, then God would be magnified. You have to let this happen. It's up to you. God has Himself available. God wants to bless you, but you have to reach out and appropriate that. But I guarantee you, it's not going to just happen automatically. It's not going to happen with you focusing on all of the negative things in this world and in your life because that's going to just magnify the problem instead of magnifying God. There are things you have to do to cooperate, but I can promise you, God wants to bless you more than you want to be blessed. So how is it that you appropriate these things? Here's how I would do it. Anytime that discouragement or something comes against me, the Word of God 
is the number one thing that I use to counter this negativism. Again, I could say this from the standpoint of talking about my relationship with God, but you know my relationship with God is maintained through my study of the Word. When I go to the Word, God speaks to me through His Word. God reminds me of things. God's Word, I can go and read the stories about other people who have suffered things worse than what I have suffered. I can see God be faithful to them and come through for them. And you know what that does? It shows me that God, you are no respecter of persons. Romans chapter 2 verse 10. And if God did this for them, He will do it for me. And then I'll take other scriptures that I even have a better covenant. If God did this for Abraham, if He did it for Moses, if He did it for David, Elijah, and on and on you could go. And if I can see God blessing these people and bringing them through their problems, I have a greater covenant, which it says that they longed for the day that I live in. What I have is so glorious that it makes what Moses, David, Elijah, Abraham had, it makes that seem like it had no glory in comparison. And see, as I study the Word and see these things, it encourages me. It builds hope. And it makes me feel like that. Praise God, if God did it for them, I've even got a better covenant. And it draws me out of the negativism. This is how I do it. And let me just share some scriptures with you here where uh, David is the one writing this. And David is talking about how important the Word of God was to him and his personal relationship with the Lord. In Psalms chapter 19, verse 7, it says, The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. You know, I'm going to go through a number of verses right here, but I could literally, I have meditated on these verses hundreds and hundreds of hours. And it's just hard for me to read over these things and let it go because I know that with the average person, this just goes right over their head. They aren't getting the significance of this. But boy, these are powerful statements. These are statements that the average person, even the average Christian, does not really embrace. They might sit there and shake their head if you read it and say yes, but they don't live their life by this. This isn't a revelation to them. And that's precisely the reason that they are being overcome by the negativism that is in this world. Stop and think about this. It says the law of the Lord is perfect. Man, perfect is a pretty strong term. But that's exactly what this is. And when it talks about the law of the Lord, of course, in the day that David was writing, that's all they had was the Old Testament law, the first five books of the Bible. But we now have the entire Bible. We could say that the Bible, God's Word, is perfect and it converts the soul. Did you know if you look these words up, the word convert there comes from a root word. And I don't have all of this in front of me right now, but you could go study it out. And this Hebrew word comes from a root word, which is talking about to return back to an original condition. You know, mankind has fallen a long ways from where God intended us to be. I mean, God created Adam and Eve and put them in a perfect environment. Everything about them was perfect. I mean, the creation. You know, I still think creation is just awesome and it declares the glory of God and it really ministers to me. My wife and I just spent two days driving out and looking at the aspens and seeing God's creation and I guarantee you it is just awesome. But it's just a mere shell of what God intended it to be. The original creation before uh, the fall came in, was even greater. Adam and Eve lived in a perfect world. 
And yet we've fallen, and not only mankind, but this creation has all kinds of problems. Animals kill each other, there's disease, there's uh, infections, and things are happening in this world that God never intended. But even in this fallen world, there is still something that's perfect, and that's the Word of God. You know, most of us just really have a hard time embracing that anything is perfect, but God's Word is perfect, and it converts the soul. It will bring us back to this original place that God intended our hearts to be. Not only has this physical creation been polluted through the fall of man, but our hearts have been polluted. And after century and century and centuries of people just adding sin upon sin and all of these things, did you know many of us have lowered our standards to where what a lot of people consider to be normal is way, way abnormal. How do you keep this world and their standards from just affecting you and messing your soul up? How is it that if you were raised in a very ungodly situation, and say, for instance, just anger and strife was the norm, and if this is what you were brought up with, how do you ever change and get your priorities realigned and, and establish a new normal, a biblical normal? How do you do that? This is what it says. The law of the Lord is perfect, it will convert your soul. It will bring your soul back to the way that God intended it to be. This is powerful. And I tell you, I do this constantly. You know, I am not immune to the negativism of this world. I have testified that I've been able to overcome it. I've been walking in victory. I haven't been depressed in 44 years. I'm not going to be depressed and some people think that that's just an out-and-out lie, but it's the truth. And so when I say things like this, some people think, well, you just don't have any problems. You don't have anything come against you. I have the exact same things come against me. Probably if I was to tell you some of the problems that I deal with, I could make most of you feel sorry for me. I've got as many problems as anybody else. I believe that when you're a leader in the body of Christ, it's like you have a big old target on your back and Satan is just throwing things at you. If I was to allow myself, I could be as depressed and discouraged as anybody else. I am not immune to problems. I have them come. I have temptations to worry and have care about things the same as anybody else does. But here's how I stay positive in a negative world. The law of the Lord is perfect and it converts my soul. It brings me back to the place where God wants me to be. And as I get in the Word of God, God encourages me. God speaks to me. I tell you, this is, this is powerful. And it's amazing how most people will not accept this. They think it's got to be more complicated than that. No, I've got to go and I've got to get counsel. I've got to do all of these other things. You know, if you would just go to the Word of God, if you were to meditate in the Word day and night, as it says in Joshua chapter 1, verse 8, then you would make your way prosperous, and then you would have good success. It's that simple. Psalms, 1, uh, Psalms chapter 1 says, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth his leaf in his season. His leaf shall not wither, and whatsoever he does will prosper. 
In other words, it's talking about like a tree planted by a water source. Even if you go through a drought, it, that tree is still going to flourish because it's drawing the nourishment from that water source. And a person who meditates in the Word day and night is going to be like that. You won't go through these dry spells. You won't go through these things. You won't have to run to somebody else and get counseling all of the time. You know, I had a friend in Pueblo, Colorado, who was a pastor of a church. And, you know, pastors just get overwhelmed with the needs of the people in their church. And they, if they would allow it, they could just spend all day, every day counseling people and never have any time for themselves, never do anything constructive and grow and increase and all of these things. And so this friend of mine, the way he dealt with this problem of people just wanting to come and always get him to tell them what God wants them to do, he gave them an assignment. If they came and said, Pastor, we need to talk to you, he would give them an assignment. And he'd said, all right, here's this tape series, or here are these verses, you go study this. And before they came for their counseling session, they had to sit down with the secretary and show that they had done the homework assignment. They had done this assignment that was given to them. And he said that if the people would listen to the teaching, read the book, or read the scriptures, that about 50 or 60, 70% of them would just call in and say, you know what, I've got my answer, I don't need to talk to you. Out of the remaining ones who came, it was you know anywhere from 20 to 30% that would still want to come and get an appointment. About half of those had never listened to the things and he just told them, I'm not going to talk to you unless you do what I've told you to do. And so that cut his counseling uh, time down to about 15% or less of what it had been by just getting people in the Word and either they get into the Word, they get their answer and they don't need to come talk to Him or they, they would never do the assignment and it, He wouldn't uh, deal with them. But I'm telling you that this is saying that the law of the Lord will is perfect and it converts your soul. You wouldn't have to be running to somewhere else. You wouldn't have to be calling the prayer uh, network and having them pray for you. And you wouldn't have to just sit there and languish day after day if you would get in the Word of God and let it build you up. You know, when I got drafted, I was uh, a chaplain's assistant. I was sent to Fort Dix, New Jersey, and then I went to Fort Hamilton, New York, which is right under the Verrazano Narrows Bridge, and that's where I did my training for being a chaplain's assistant. And even though it was a chaplain's assistant, the people that were in that program were super ungodly. All of the rest of the people in my class, they hated me. They used to call me preacher. I would walk into a room and the people would be talking and they'd see me and everybody would go, shh, and they'd shut up and they'd walk away from me. I'd sit down at a table and they'd all pick up and leave. And there's reasons for it. I'd tried to witness to them in front of the whole group. And man, I, it didn't go well. And people hated me. And I was shunned and I was criticized. And for about six weeks, I never had a single person that would talk to me. I could try and talk to people and they treated me like the plague. And you know what? It began to get to me. After about six weeks, I was getting discouraged by this. And it was on a Saturday. Everybody else went into New York City on leave on a Saturday and I just determined that, man, I needed to be encouraged. And I took the Word of God and just sat on my bunk. And for eight hours, I just studied the Word. And I studied these exact passages of Scripture. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. And did you know that as I went through these things, I mean after about eight hours, 
of being in the Word, I was just higher than a kite. I mean, all of the discouragement, all of the depression was gone. All of the things that Satan had tried to accomplish through this rejection and criticism of me, it was just gone. And I mean, it was amazing to me how my whole attitude was completely flip-flopped, totally reversed, 180 degrees. And you know how it happened? By just getting into the Word of God. The law of the Lord is perfect. It will convert your soul. Does your soul need converting? I'm not talking about being born again, but I'm, does your soul need turning around? Are you headed in the wrong direction? Are you discouraged? Are you becoming negative because of all of the junk that's going on in the world? It's as simple as just getting into the Word of God. The law of the Lord is perfect. It will convert your soul. It will turn you around. It will change your attitude. The rest of this verse goes on to say, The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The word sure here means that it is settled. It's established. The Word of God's not going to change. It's not something that was, you know, apropos and applicable to the people back 2,000 years ago, but it doesn't relate to us today. No, it is sure. It's fixed. It's established. It's just as real for us. It will work for us today just exactly the same as it has worked for any person throughout history. And the Word of God is just full of examples of people who in their distress turned to the Lord and God brought them through and had miraculous deliverances. You know, I think it was Joyce Myers that says, if you can't have a testimony without having a test. If you don't have a test, then all you've got is a money. <laughs> and I've always remembered that. But a testimony is talking about through adversity. When tests, when problems come against you, you can overcome it and it turns into a testimony. Everybody wants a testimony, but very few people are willing to stand through adversity. What they do is just sit there and cave in and then wonder why they don't have a testimony. It's because you've got to take the Word of God, the testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. It will give you wisdom. You know, I've been serving the Lord with all of my heart for 44 years. I had an experience with the Lord 44 years ago. It was 54 years ago when I first got born again. But I really didn't get into the Word and didn't have much of a personal relationship with God until 44 years ago. And I have been seeking the Lord and I have been just pouring into the Word of God. And I have... Uh, ministry now and things going that, you know what, I just am not smart enough to do what I'm doing. But the Word of God has given, made uh, wisdom, it's given wisdom to the simple. I think I qualify as being simple. I am not a very complicated person. You know, I have people say, well, man, you make the Word so simple. That's because I'm so simple. I can't figure it out if it's real difficult. I just am real simple but God has given me wisdom. And you know, we are doing things right now. We are impacting the world. And I'm not saying that to pat myself on the back. I'm just praising God for what He's done. And I'm doing things beyond my ability. And you know how I've been able to do this? Because the Word of God makes wise the simple. Some of you have heard me use this example before. But my mother died in 2009. And right before she died, she I was visiting with her and she was asking me about all of the things that God was doing and I was telling her about all of the 
offices and the people's lives that were being changed, testimonies of miracles and things happening all over the world. And she stuck her finger right in my face and she said, Andy, you know this is God. And I said, yes, ma'am, I know this is God. And then she says, you aren't smart enough to do all of this. And, you know, I share that testimony and some people think, well, that was a terrible thing to say. She didn't mean it bad. She was just reminding me that, you know what, it's God. It's not you. You aren't smart enough to do what you're doing. And I agree 100%. I'm telling you that the Word of God will make you look better than you are. The Word of God will bring you through. The Word of God will make wise the simple. Why wouldn't anybody want that? Why is it that we lean unto our own understanding? Why is it that we think that we're sharp enough to figure all of these things out on our own and we only turn to the Lord after we've made a total mess out of everything and then we ask God to unscramble our eggs that we've scrambled? Why is it that we wait on that? Why don't we just start and say, God, I am not sharp enough to run my own life. I've used these verses already, but Jeremiah 10, 23 says, O Lord, I know that the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man that walks to direct his own steps. God has given us that choice. We can choose to do it. He won't force his way upon us, but the right choice is to say, God, I'm not smart enough to run my life. Proverbs chapter 3, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. I think that's verse 5. And lean not unto your own understanding. In all of your ways acknowledge Him and He shall direct your paths. We need to recognize that we just are not qualified to figure everything out on our own. And we don't have to. God has given us His wisdom. He's given us instruction. I don't care what your need is. If you would study the Word, God's Word will make you wise. It will make the simple wise. In other words, this isn't talking about it just increases the ability of those who already have it all together. If you're simple, if you're a simpleton, if it seems like you don't have much going for you, God's Word will make you look good. God's Word will transform your life. You know, I had a friend of mine that I used to go to his church every year and this guy had two or three doctorate degrees. I don't even remember exactly, but he was a doctor. And he had all of this cemetery, I mean seminary learning. And yet we would sit down and visit over Scripture. And he would ask me something and I'd give him what the Lord had shown me. And this, I mean, after we did this for years. I'd go to his church every year. And after a few years of this, this guy actually got mad at me. And he says... I just don't understand this. I've been through seminary. I've got doctorate degrees. I've studied. I've read everybody else's commentary. And you have revelation on the scripture that I have never heard before. And he says, it's just totally opposite what I've been taught. And then I'll go back and study it and find out that what you're saying is true. He says, how do you get this? He says, you're a dummy. You don't even talk good. (laughs) Amen. You don't have good English. And he was saying, how do you do this? And it's because I just studied the Word. He studied books about the Word. He studied other people's opinions about the Word. He went into the Greek and Hebrew, but he just didn't study the Word. And you know what? It really made a difference in this guy's life. And I mean, he started committing himself to the Word of God more than to reading somebody's book about the Word of God. I'm telling you, the Word of God, the testimony of the Lord is sure. And it'll make you wise. 
It'll make you wise unto salvation, unto spiritual things. It'll make you wise unto natural things, your marriage, how to raise your kids. It'll make you wise unto healing, unto your business. It'll enable you in any area of your life. I could spend a lot more time on that. In verse 8, it says, The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. You know, we are being bombarded with information constantly. And we're being told that this is right and this is right. But the Word of God is right. The Word of God is truth. And it says that the statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. You know, I've been talking about how to stay positive in a negative world. Rejoicing is something that goes along with when you are positive, when you are operating in faith, when you keep your mind stayed on the Lord. The result of that will be that you rejoice. And it says here that it's the statutes of the Lord that are right and they rejoice the heart. If you are discouraged, all you've got to do is open up the Word of God and open up your heart. Not just read it with your head and keep your mind focused on your problem the whole time, but open your heart, let God speak to you. And if you truly get into communion with the Lord where the Word of God is coming off of this page and it's speaking to you, it will cause your heart to rejoice. It's the perfect antidote to all of the negativism and the discouragements that's in the world. You know, I've already given a testimony about how I was being persecuted and things happening and I was discouraged and feeling sad and pity for myself and I just spent eight hours in the Word and I mean, boom, I was just totally on top of it. It transformed me. The Word of God is absolutely transforming. You know, when I first started making radio, I didn't really understand this, but... I experienced it before I understood it. And then I went and found out what was happening. But I would be, you know, this is, I started on radio. I actually did radio for about a year while I was in Childress, Texas. And then I had a brief lapse. And then when I went to Pritchett, Colorado, I started on radio. And I've been on continually ever since. This is about 1978, I guess it was. And um, anyway, when I first started on this radio, I was pastoring this little church We had seen a man raised from the dead and this town of 144 people had 100 people coming to church. Not all of them were from the town. They came from 100 miles away. But we started seeing all of these wonderful things happen, but people got mad at me. They accused me of stealing money, which I didn't even take an offering from the church. They accused me of being on dope. They accused me of sexual immorality. They accused me of everything. I mean, they just came out against me. I was being lied and slandered and terrible things were happening. And in the midst of all of this, I would have all of these things happening, and you know what? It would kind of discourage me. But we had just started this radio broadcast, and what I would have to do is wait until Jamie and the boys had gone to sleep, and then I'd go down into our basement, and I would begin to start making radio programs. And I'd make anywhere from two weeks to three weeks or sometimes four weeks worth of radio programs, 15-minute programs, And I would just get down there and minister the Word. And I would go down and I would have to just, through gritted teeth, start talking about the Lord and about how He's a good God and God is always the same and He will cause us to triumph. And I would start talking about this with fighting discouragement in myself. But after making a few weeks of these programs, I mean, I would be so fired up. I would be so excited that it was hard for me to go to sleep. You know, I'd wait until 11 o'clock before I'd start. I'd get through at 2 in the morning. And 
I, I naturally would be sleepy, but I was so fired up I couldn't go to sleep. I'd just stay up and go to praising God. And it happened just like clockwork every time I did this. And it took me a while to figure out, but you know what? It's just like this verse says, that the statutes of the Lord are right and they cause your heart to rejoice. I would preach myself happy. I would get into the Word of God and I'd be speaking God's Word out my mouth and the Word of God would just fire me up regardless of what anybody had done to me. That same thing happens when I come in here and make television programs. It doesn't matter what's going on. I can get into the Word of God and start studying these scriptures, sharing with you and talking to you and I guarantee you it gets me all built up and fired up. I'm telling you, this is how you stay positive in a negative world. You have to get into the Word of God. The law of the Lord is perfect. It will convert your soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure. It'll make wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right. They cause your heart to rejoice. Why wouldn't you do something like this if it causes your heart to rejoice? I tell you, we get busy with so many other things, but nothing should take precedent over the Word of God. The Word of God will keep you excited. It will keep you positive in a negative world. The rest of this verse, verse 8, goes on to say, the commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. You know, in our fallen world, there are very few things that are pure. We, we rate things, their purity on a kind of a comparative scale compared to the terrible, you know, debauchery of maybe the world, maybe this is pure in some people's eyes. But the Word of God is the only thing that is perfectly pure. The only thing that is holy and pure. I mean, you can't look around and see very much that is pure. You can see some that is better than others, not as bad as others. But the Word of God, when you get into the Word of God, it is pure and it enlightens your eyes. You know, I could spend a lot more time on this than what I'm going to do, but it's because our eyes have been closed to the spiritual truths, the wisdom of God, and that we look at things through a mindset that isn't consistent with the Word of God. That causes so much problems. I have people come to me all of the time and they tell me about their situations and I just wonder, how did you get into this situation? How could you be so blind that you just dug this hole for yourself? I usually don't say things to them like that, but I think it a lot of times about how could you do this? And it's just because people are walking through life as if, you know, they're just leaning to their own understanding. They aren't following the instructions of God's Word. It's like we're blind. We just don't realize. We, we decide and exalt our wisdom and you do things your way and then after you crash and burn, after you've made a total wreck of things, you come running to the Lord, you come to some minister and you ask them, what can I do? And you wonder. And I'm telling you that if you were just to get into the Word of God, it is pure and it will enlighten your eyes. You'll see things differently. You would see the way that God wants you to go. It would become clear. I couldn't tell you the hundreds, possibly thousands of times that I've been in a situation where I needed God to give me a word and I would pray and I would ask, but I would turn to the Word of God and I'd just begin to study it. And through some example of somebody's testimony in the Word of God, how God brought them through, God would speak to me. He would open up my eyes and just show me something that was so simple that once you see it, you wonder about why didn't I see this before? 
But I tell you, I don't, I don't know how to explain this, but when I get into the Word of God and go to studying the Bible, God speaks to me through this Bible. He enlightens my eyes. He shows me things. He gives me understanding that I wouldn't have if I didn't have these scriptures. When I'm dealing with problems in my life, He will show me the answers through the Word of God. He will enlighten my eyes. You know, the illustration here is that if you were in a dark room and if there was no light, you could have your eyes wide open. But it wouldn't do you any good if you couldn't see anything, if everything was dark. But you turn on a light and all of a sudden your eyes begin to function. You have the ability to see, but you need some light. And the Word of God will shed light on your situation. In verse 9 it says, The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. Again, I could spend a lot of time on this, but our world has rejected the truths of God's Word. They are proclaiming things as normal, as this is the way it should be, that are diametrically opposed to the Word of God. It is deception. And that is where a tremendous amount of your negativity and problems are coming from is just being beaten constantly, I mean buffeted, with this unbelief of the world. How do you counter that? You know, one of the things about propaganda is that it's a lie and people know it's a lie at the beginning. But if you hear it over and over and over, and I mean hundreds and thousands of times, you just repeat a lie. After a while, it begins to influence people and they begin to lose their perspective on what reality is. Sad to say, we have a whole generation now that are being told lies about, you know, all kinds of things and what a normal family is and what normal behavior is and because of it they've heard it so many times that they have just been deceived in this area the word of God will change that the word of God is true and righteous altogether it will bring you back to a proper standard it will expose these lies we need to be studying the word of God constantly it goes on to say in verse 10, More to be desired are they than gold. This is talking about God's word than gold. Yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. You know, that's a powerful statement right there. The word of God is more to be desired than gold. Yea, than much fine gold. You know, there are not very many people. There's not even very many Christians who have that attitude. The average person spends much more time chasing the almighty buck than they do studying the Word of God. And yet this says that the Word of God is more to be desired than gold, yea, than much fine gold. If that's true, which it is, then you ought to have more of a desire to know the Word of God and to mine it and to get the riches out of the Word of God than you ever have to prosper and to see finances and all of these kind of things come to pass. And with most people, that's just not so. Most people are letting the cares of this life and the deceitfulness of riches and the lust of other things, that's from Mark chapter 4, about verse 19, I think it is, choke the Word of God. That whole parable over there in Mark chapter 4 is about the Word of God being like a seed and yet it gets choked because people are just the lust of other things and the deceitfulness of riches 
They are just spending their time doing so much trying to prosper in the natural. Did you know that the Word of God will make you prosperous? If you were to spend more time meditating on the Word of God and getting your mind renewed and getting sensitive to the leadership of the Lord to where you could follow His direction instead of leaning under your own understanding, you would prosper more than if you put all of this effort into making a living. Now, there's a balance here. I, the Scripture says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, I believe it's verse 10, that if you don't work, don't eat. So I'm not telling you just to shut yourself up in a closet and not do anything and you're going to get rich. You need to go out and set your hand unto something. He said he would bless the work of your hand. So yes, you do need to work. You need to balance what I'm saying here. But I'm saying that many of us are putting so much effort into trying to prosper and all of the effort is on our back. All of the burden is on our back. And we aren't giving priority to the Word of God. And yet the Word of God is more to be desired than much fine gold. If you would get into the Word of God, God would show you things. For instance, in John chapter 16, I'm not sure the exact verse. I think it's verse 13, but it says when the Holy Spirit has come, He will show you things to come. Let me just ask you. If you were to get into the Word of God, develop your relationship with God to where the Holy Spirit could show you what is going to happen in the world, how do you think that would affect your finances? Well, I can tell you firsthand that, you know, at the beginning of 2008, my wife was praying and the Lord told her we had an inheritance from her father's death. It's not a lot of money. I think it was, uh, I'm not even sure, but it was... Thirty or $40,000 maximum, somewhere around there. And we put this into the stock market. And the Lord spoke to Jamie at the beginning of 2008 to take our money out of the stock market. And you know what? This is long before anybody else was predicting anything, anybody that I heard. But because of the Holy Spirit, the Lord spoke to us. We took that money out. And when everybody else lost money, we didn't lose money. And then right after the crash, the Lord told us and gave us guidance to get back in. And we have a guy that helps manage our money. And did you know that when the stock market went down 50%, we made a 61% positive increase. And I know some of you think, that can't work. How did that happen? Well, there was some natural things involved, but you know the majority of it is just we hear the voice of the Lord. The Holy Spirit will show you things to come. We put more emphasis on the Word of God and knowing God than we do on all of our wisdom and reading all of the journals. I don't know hardly anything about the stock market, and yet I have prospered in it much more than people that do a lot of stuff. Now, I have a guy that helps manage our money, and I'm saying he does those things. I'm not... There's a balance here. You don't throw your brain out the window. You do need to know some things or either have somebody who does know some things helping you. There's a balance, but I'm saying that I have put an emphasis on the Word of God. I desire to know God's Word more than I desire to have finances. And because of it, I've got both. Solomon is an example that, you know, the Lord came to him and appeared to him in a dream right before he was you know, right at the beginning of his uh, kingdom when he became king over Israel. And the Lord said, Solomon, I'll give you whatever you ask. What do you want? And instead of asking for money or instead of asking for victory over all of his enemies or long life or any of the things, the selfish things that most people would ask for, 
Solomon said, I want wisdom. You've got such a you know, vast number of people here in this nation and you've made me the leader over it and I'm like a child. I need your wisdom. God, give me wisdom. And the Lord was so pleased that Solomon didn't ask for gold or ask for money, ask for victory over his enemies or a long life, but instead he asked for wisdom. God was so pleased that he says, I'm going to grant your wish. I'm going to give you more wisdom than any person has ever had, and I'm also going to make you the richest person that has or will ever live. That's what the scripture says. Solomon was richer than any kings that will ever come after him. That means you could take the person today that has the most money in the world and Solomon relative to his time had more money than what any person has ever had. And you know how it came? Because he put God first. Matthew chapter 6 verse 33 but says, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. And if you read it in context, the things that he's talking about is what you eat, where you sleep, what you're clothed with, physical provision. If you would put first the kingdom of God, if you would seek the word of God more than you seek gold, more than you seek prosperity, then you would not only get the Word of God and the wisdom and the joy and the peace, you'd be positive in the midst of this negative world, but you would also get all of these other things, all of the riches and all of the goodness of God. And you would then have a relationship with the Lord and you'd be able to enjoy it. You know, there are some people who have learned how to prosper and have made a lot of money and yet they don't have the joy of the Lord. They can't enjoy it. Man, I've heard stories about people that in the natural, they're movie stars, they've got money running out their ears, they've got big bucks, they've got all of the fame, the attraction, they're attractive looking people in the natural, you think they got everything and yet here they are getting drunk, getting arrested, they're having to go into drug rehab centers, they're, having, they're being arrested for shoplifting and they could buy the entire shop. It's just stupid. You should desire the Word of God more than gold, yea, than much fine gold. I don't know how I can make it any simpler. Man, the Word of God is just crystal clear. The verse goes on to say, Sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. You know, this is just one example of food, but basically this is saying that we ought to desire the Word of God more than you do your food. You know, it may not be a honey or honeycomb for you, but whatever sweet it is that you like, whatever thing that really excites you, you ought to be more excited about the Word of God than you are about food. And I tell you, that's not true with a lot of people. You know, I've got friends that we go out, and I mean, they just, they go on and on and on about food. And I admit, I like food. I mean, I, I don't know how you live to be 63 years old and not like food. I like food. I'm not against food, but I'm saying that, you know what? I don't get as excited about food. I've got a friend that can tell you where they were 25 years ago by where they ate and what the food was like. And I mean, he just loves food. You know what? I just don't get that excited about food. I enjoy it, but you know what excites me? I'm more excited about the Word of God than I am a honeycomb, more than I am about any kind of food. I think it was Job that said that he esteemed the Word of God more than his daily bread. Man, that's awesome. You know, I've got a friend of mine that pastors a church. I've been going to his church for like 26 years. 
And he has a lot of people in his church that have come off the street. I mean, they were drug addicts, prostitutes. They come straight out of jail. And a lot of people have just lived a really rough life. They've never learned to manage their money. And so he carries other people's money in his pockets and they have to come and ask him and he teaches them how they're supposed to administer this. And, they, and it's their money and yet they give it to him and he teaches them how to administer this. And I remember one day I was there when a young guy came and this guy came to the pastor and said, could I have some money? And, and the pastor says, what do you want money for? And he says, something to eat. It was lunchtime. He says, I hadn't eaten all day long. I'm hungry. I want to buy something to eat. And the pastor asked him, says, did you get up and study the word today? And he says, well, no, I was at church last night. I helped clean up afterwards. I didn't get home until like 12 o'clock. I had to get up. I got up late. I had to rush to work. And he says, I haven't uh, had time today to be in the word. And the pastor told him, he says, if you don't have time to be in the word, you don't have time to eat. And he wouldn't give him any money. And you know what? I know that there's people all around the world saying, that's terrible. How dare somebody do something like that? But you know what he was doing? He was teaching this young man the importance of putting God first. And it was only a year or two after that that this same young man who didn't even have enough wisdom to manage his own money had to come to the pastor and ask for money to go get something to eat. Within a couple of years, I was there, and that man was making $10,000 a month because somebody taught him how to put a priority on the Word of God more than on the food that you eat. If you studied the Word as much, if you spent as much time studying the Word as you spend eating and thinking about eating on a daily basis, I guarantee you most of you would be prosperous to the max. You would be out of your problems. Things would be working for you. You ought to give more time to the Word of God than you give to anything else. You ought to give more time to the Word of God than you do eating. You ought to love the Word more than you do eating. And again, you know, I eat on a regular basis, but I honestly can say that I love being in the Word of God more than anything else. You know, some of you are going to think that this is just strange, weird, but I'm telling you, that I have developed a love for God and God's Word has satisfied me so many millions of times. God has spoken to me. And because of those things, you know the thing that, is, that I do when I have time and I just want to enjoy myself and I want to have an awesome day, I will get in the Word of God. And I can spend eight to ten hours in the Word of God and it seems like it's just gone in an hour's time. I love studying the Word of God more than anything else. And some of you think, well, you're a preacher. And so it's different for you. I tell you, it would be the same for any of you. If you were to ever taste and see. You know, the scripture says, taste and see that the Lord is good. If you were to just take the Word of God and start studying it like this and desire it more than you desire food, desire it more than you desire gold. And if you ever got satisfied through it, I guarantee you, you'd long for it. And that's powerful. But then in the next verse, it says, Moreover, by them is thy servant warned, and in keeping of them there is great reward. Again, this is another benefit of the Word of God. It says, Moreover, by them is thy servant warned. You know, I look at people who don't really know the Word of God and don't 
put a priority on the Word of God. I look at them as people who are just walking through life and every booby trap, every snare, everything that the devil has set for their life, they're going to fall into every one of them because they aren't taking warning through the Word of God. The Word of God will warn you about problems. I've used this example already, but the book of Proverbs, there's a number of chapters that are devoted to telling a person about the foolishness of the strange woman, talking about an adulterous woman and the damage that that's going to do. There's multiple scriptures that talk about wine and those who tarry long at the wine are those who have grief and sorrow. It's like a person trying to go to sleep on top of a mast. (laughs) It doesn't work. You're going to fall. And the scripture says, whoever is deceived thereby is not wise. And the scripture will warn you. It'll warn you about alcoholism. It'll warn you about drug abuse. It'll warn you about sexual immorality. It'll warn you about problems in business. It'll show you how to get along with people. It'll teach you kind of things. It'll show you how to get favor, not only with God, but also with man. It'd make a difference in the way you relate to other people. The Word of God will warn you and show you things. And yet most people are just going through life like a blindfold on. They can't see any of the obstacles that they're going to trip over. They can't see the cliff that they're going to fall off of. And it's because they don't know the Word of God. I tell you, I just don't have the words to make it better than what this is saying. This is powerful. The Word of God warns you. If you aren't in the Word of God, if you don't know the Word of God like the back of your hand, if you haven't renewed your mind with the Word of God, you are going to have problems that the Bible warned you against that were totally unnecessary. You do not have to go through these things. It says over in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 that all of the things that happened in the Old Testament were recorded for our learning so that through them we might learn not to lust. Through them we might learn not to murmur and not to complain. All of these things happened for our examples. Why did God write all of this down? For us so that we don't have to learn everything by hard knocks. You can be warned. You know, my personal testimony is I was raised in a Christian home and I lived a very sheltered life. And then I got born again at eight. And I mean, I committed myself to God. And I have not gone ever through a period of rebellion where I rebelled and went against my parents and went against society and and did all of that stuff. I've sinned. All of sin comes short of the glory of God. But I didn't go through this, you know, rebellious stage that so many people think are just mandatory and that you have to have it. And I haven't done most of the stuff that most of you watching this program have done. I've never said a word of profanity. I've never taken a drink of liquor. I've never smoked a cigarette. I mean, I have lived a straight life. And most people say, well, then how did you ever learn anything? Because they think that you can only learn that it's wrong to go out here and be a dopehead by doing it and seeing the damage that it does. It's wrong for you to commit adultery. You have to experience it to understand it. I'm telling you, there's a better way. And that's to learn by other people's examples. Man, I've learned through David. I saw David lust after Bathsheba. I saw him satisfy his own passion and cost the life of the child that was born to them. And then all of his children rebelled and followed his 
ungodly ways. And it cost him grief after grief. And I have learned through this not to live that way. You do not have to learn everything by hard knocks. The Word of God is given to warn you about these things. You know, I'm speaking to old people right now who've done things your way. And man, you can say, I wished I'd have learned what the Word of God says. I'm speaking to young people that you're watching this and you're thinking, oh, you know, I think that this is a little over the top. I, you know, I'm, I'm going to go out and check things out and learn things for myself. And I'm, I'm speaking to people from every, you know, age group, everything. And many people may disagree with this, but I'm telling you that the Word of God is given to warn you. If you would follow the instructions, you could save yourself untold hurt and pain. You know, I have missed out on a lot because I've just been seeking God my whole life. I really have. I mean, I've, I've missed out on a lot of sickness and disease and poverty and sadness and grief and depression. I don't have depression the way other people have. I just, I haven't had everything that everybody else has had. And you know what? I don't miss it. I've been warned by the Word of God and I would recommend it. I know that there are many of you thinking, boy, you are strange, but I think you're strange. I think it's strange that here's God giving us this manual, giving us these things that it says specifically through the Word of God, you will be warned. And He's given us these warnings and you don't even read it. You don't even know. You just go out and you learn everything on your own by hard knocks. You have to fall and hurt yourself before you decide that that was the wrong thing to do. I'm telling you, the Word of God is so powerful. Man, I praise God so much for the Word of God. It will warn you. Moreover, by them is thy servant warned, and in keeping of them there is great reward. Boy, there's tremendous rewards for working, walking in the Word of God. I don't know why people have such an aversion. I believe that it must be demonic, the way that people are kept from the Word of God. The way that other things come in and choke the Word of God, it must be demonic. It has to be Satan drawing people away because it, the promises, just these few verses that I read right here, these promises are so powerful that if you really believe the Word of God and if you just took these four verses that we've been through, this could transform your life right here. Why wouldn't people do that? Man, this is more important than gold. It's more important than the food that you eat. It'll make you wise. It'll show you things. It'll warn you. There's tremendous reward that comes with it. It'll convert your soul. It'll rejoice your heart. All of these things are promised. Promised. Why wouldn't people commit to knowing more of the Word of God and being in the Word of God more? I tell you, if you would do that, it would make you positive in the midst of a negative world. Let me turn over and read some things here that Jesus said in John chapter 15. And Jesus said this in John chapter 15 verse 1, I am the true vine and my father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that bringeth forth fruit, he taketh, uh, or excuse, bringeth not forth fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it that it may bring forth more fruit. You know, people will also often take this verse and say that purging is like cutting off 
a branch. It's pruning. It's painful. It hurts that God is going to cause you to go through a failed business. He's going to cause you to lose your health. He's going to cause you to lose your business, lay you off. He's going to do these things to prune you. And they use these verses to try and say that God is the author of all of the pain and the suffering in your life. And they will often say that you cannot actually grow to maturity without going through all of this pain and suffering. But let me share a passage with you out of 1 Timothy chapter 3 and, excuse me, it's 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16. It says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. This word perfect here is talking about mature, complete. In other words, you don't need the suffering and the heartache and the pain and all of these kind of things to make you perfect. This doctrine that would interpret John chapter 15 and say God is the one who's caused these tragedies in your life because you've been self-willed and God is breaking you and God is just the one that's thrown you down so that he can grind you to powder and make you pliable. Man, I hate that kind of stuff. That is not what this is saying. The very next verse says in verse 3, John 15, 3, Now you are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Did you know if you look the word up in John 15, 2, that says that he purges you or prunes you, it is the exact same word that is translated clean in verse 3. That means to purge. This isn't talking about God putting problems in your life. It says God, yes, He will work on you. He will change things in your life. How does He do it? 2 Timothy 3, 16, you are, it's through the Word. That's given for instruction in righteousness and for uh, correction and reproof so that you can be perfect, thoroughly furnished. You don't need all of this other stuff. The Word of God will teach you and you can learn through the Word of God and you are clean, purged through the Word. The Word of God is what cleanses you. The Word of God is what changes you. Now let me say this. Somebody will say, well, I learned something through this. I went out and did things my own way and I learned that, man, I totally missed it and God has taught me a valuable lesson and I use my personal experience of me messing up and I use that to encourage other people and I learned something through this. You're saying that you can't learn anything through hard knocks? No, that's not what I'm saying. You can learn by making mistakes. You can go out here, you could beat your head against a wall. And you know what? You could learn that it feels a lot better if you don't beat your head against a wall. But you could also learn it by me just telling you. You don't have to do that. You could take my word for it. You do not have to learn everything by hard knocks. This scripture, Jesus said, you are clean. You are purged through the word. The word will teach you things. You do not have to learn everything by yourself. The word of God is given for reproof for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God might be perfect. You don't have to have just all of this tragedy in your life that you learn by. You can learn through the Word of God. The Word of God will warn you. The Word of God will purge you. It will clean you. I tell you, that is so powerful. I don't know why people would rather go out and figure everything out on their own. 
You know, I think I use this example already, but if we were to just dismiss all of the advances made by the human race over the last, you know, thousands of years, and if we were to just go out and say, I'm not going to trust anybody that this car works, I'm not going to trust anybody that this phone works, I'm not going to trust anybody about any of these things, I'm going to go back to just living off the land, and I'm going to develop it, and I'm going to invent the car, I'm going to invent electricity, I'm going to invent a battery, I'm going to invent cell phones, I'm going to have to do all of this stuff on my own, I'm not going to just take something from somebody else and learn from them. If you were to take that approach, we'd all still be in the Stone Age. You know what? We all have benefited from what other people have learned. And we start where they left off and we go further. And yet when it comes to morality issues and things with God, somehow or another people have developed this attitude that I just can't take your word for it. I can't go by what the Bible says. I can't go by what God spoke to other people. I've got to find out God on my own. You don't do that in any other area of your life. You take the advancements, the things that other people have learned, and you build on that. But when it comes to the Bible, you're just going to discount that and you're going to go out and learn everything on your own. You're a person that's going to make a total mess of your life. I'm telling you, the Word of God is given to warn you. It's given to make you wise. It's given to make a difference in your life. And you need to take the Word of God. If you want to stay positive in a negative world, you need to take the Word of God and you need to use it to enable you to see things from God's standpoint to approach life with a different perspective than people that don't have the Word of God have. I tell you, the Word of God is one of the greatest things that God ever gave us. The Word of God is how He reveals Himself to us. Of course, Jesus is the greatest gift that God ever gave to man. But Jesus is revealed to us through the Word. If we didn't have a written record that was inspired by God, it says that all Scripture is God-breathed. This isn't just man writing about something. This isn't man's opinion. This is the Word of God. If we didn't have a God-inspired, God-breathed Word that was given to us and we were just living off of oral history of what happened 2,000 years ago, I guarantee you it would have been so corrupted, it would have been so tainted that you couldn't have trusted anything. Our revelation of Jesus and what He did for us would be so limited. Jesus, it's awesome what he did, and God sent his son. But the revelation that is given by inspiration and that is a sure word of prophecy and something that you can base your life on and it's proven, this is so powerful. I wouldn't know about Jesus if it wasn't through the word. This is such a treasure that God has given us, the written word of God. There's people that criticize me and say, I love the word more than I love God. That is not true. But I love the Word because it is inspired by God and it reveals His heart to me. God opened up His heart to me through this Word. I'm telling you that this Word is what changed my life. I was born again when I was eight years old. But it was afterwards when I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit and even a couple of years after I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit that I finally started getting in the Word and that's when the real change happened. I believe 100% you need to be born again. I believe 100% the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues. But I guarantee you the Word of God inspired or empowered by the Holy Spirit in my life is what's made the change. 
And if you're going to truly stay positive in a negative world, you're going to have to adopt this mindset and make the Word of God priority in your life.